In this episode, we have Pat Davidson back on the podcast once again. This is a really deep conversation with Pat about healing and growing from life's traumas. Guys, this was a great discussion with Pat, and I hope you really enjoy the episode. Davidson, how are you? I'm, I'm doing all right, man. We had a nice little chat there to start off with as I was uh, having my breakfast. So I'm fed. I'm uh, so it's a very nice day over here as well, weather-wise. It looks like so. I'm I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Really well. It's uh, it's funny you, you you did that unintentional FOMO for the listeners. That what were they talking about before they hit record? Damn it! Why did they tease us? It was just NFL people. Honestly, it was just NFL. <laughs> um, which what which probably is very interesting to some of the listeners who know us anyway. But uh, and it's funny too. You know when like you open up a conversation, and it's like you're a bit like conversationally rusty, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like. How are you? And you're kind of like, oh, uh, how am I? And then you always like, fair. well, the weather is okay. Yes, it's Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but it actually looks like it's pretty amazing, which is is very nice on a December 5th, you know? Yeah. So, Kabir, we have our constraint, 45-minute calf today. Uh-huh. Don't worry, people, though. We'll, we're going to book in for a good long marathon session. But listen, um, as I said to you through our text messages last week and obviously before we hopped on here recording, your episode on the self-made podcast with Simon was excellent, really was. And um, a little part of me was envious. I was like, oh, that was the podcast I wanted because I wanted <laughs> to ask those questions. But like it stimulated even more thought and more questions for me. But listen, just for the 45 minutes, I'm going to shut that back up. And I just want you to talk about really kind of your last two years. Um, And you can go whatever way you want with this, but I'd love you to get into like your personal journey over the last few years and then obviously from the physical transformation you've gone through wherever you want to take those two the floor is yours yeah it's always tricky because like you know i don't want to get into too many personal things be like just to save certain names or it's it's you know what i mean like there's there's some there's some areas where it's like i, I don't like trying to be responsible at the same time but um yeah, it's been it's been a God, like I think the last two years of my life have probably been the most some of the most challenging. You know, I say that and um I think back to like what are some other really challenging years? Like uh like definitely my childhood had a few years that were just brutal, you know. I think back to like worst experiences of my childhood, and you know, I I my father was never there you know he he was uh not a not a factor not not present uh the, what i know about him is just that you know the alcoholic um in and out of prison sort of a, a thing like i never heard a good word about him from anyone in my family but i can also imagine like if i happened to have had a kid with some some woman and i wasn't involved with that like they that family probably wouldn't have a good word about me too but I, uh, I also don't doubt that he was in and out of jail and that whole thing either. You know what I mean? Like I, I can certainly believe that. I just don't know the guy to tell you the truth. Uh, I know him through narrative and, um, you know, my mother on the other hand, like she was a, a factor in my life, one that I really never particularly wanted. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that she's a very challenging figure for me to wrap my mind around. Like, think, you know, you get you get older, you have some success, you have first world problems, you end up going to therapy and and therapy in in some ways is sort of uh, 
stereotypical and you find out how many of your issues are rooted in your childhood and that like you kind of you have your your current life but that 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 life that you had as a child in some ways is like superimposed over your current life like we all recreate these things in ways that it's hard to believe that you can recreate and uh, a lot of your emotional reactions are things that like kind of trigger those those childhood major events and and you have like hist like my therapist uses this term that uh hysterical is historical so whenever it's like a, above and beyond like we all have emotions but sometimes they're capital letter emotions and when you're experiencing those capital letter emotions there's probably some historical reminder in there and and that like child inside you is coming to life and having a tantrum and uh being able to unpack that is is a is part of the major process of most therapeutic journeys so um you know i've been i've been doing extensive therapy for the last uh three years but the last two years have, have really been a, a tremendous increase in that and it's you know i have a therapist that specializes in in addicts mostly males and um so she really knows other like I'm not her first rodeo, so to speak, of uh, of of people that come in that she's worked with in the past. So um, yeah, I think that that's kind of part of the backdrop is is I've been doing it. I do a ton of work in in that area. You know, like I I do literally with what she has is a um, a system. I do five hours. No, is it five? Yeah, five hours a week of of work within her system of group therapy and work and, and with her and i've been doing that for the last uh two years you know and um so five hours a week of therapy every week and it's always these really deep dives and and i just think that like i i think about that being kind of like that's pulling me apart in a lot of ways it's stressful in and of itself and and uh and that's like part of the backdrop i think on what what is stressful for me now, but you know, part of that is like going back to the scenes of the crimes of younger times in life of like, what the hell happened to you? You know, like, uh, how'd you end up here? I, I, a lot of this stuff's on zoom nowadays. So I, I just look at it as like the Brady bunch squares. Like how do I get my square in this like, kind of like zoom, zoom universe of, uh, of, of people that, that went through some shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, my mother was uh, a drug addict, alcoholic, and it's funny. Like when when I think about memories of her, like we have Christmas coming up, just just finished Thanksgiving here in the states. So those are the two big boys uh, for for a lot of Americans. And my memories of her, like she's a void in my entire memory of those holidays. You know, like I can remember pretty much everybody else in my family unit. But I have no recollection of her like involvement with anything. And, um, you know, it's just sort of that's she's just the shadow. She's like just like a, a, a phantom in some ways that was there, but wasn't ever really there. And um, it's funny, like when I would hear stories about her when I was a kid, you know, it'd be like, oh, you know, it's funny because her name was Patricia. And I don't know any other situation where the mother named the son after her, you know, like it's a very, it's an odd one to me. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, who the hell was this person? You know, like you were, you were mentioning that to me in our chat. Like, 
I don't know if I'll ever, I'll never, I'll never know who this person was really, you know, because the last time I was under her care, I was 11, you know, and like, you're just not formed as a person at that point. And I definitely was, wasn't because, um, though that was probably like, I was sort of saying like that time period for me was these last two years of my life have been horrible. That stretch of my life was horrible. If I'm comparing this two years right now, like that's a good time to compare it to in terms of how bad things were for, for me. Um, you know, back, back then, like sort of like eight to 11 period, my grandparents primarily raised me. I have very fond memories of them. My grandmother died when I was eight. That's still the most, I would say the most painful thing for me. Um, you know, that was for me, uh, death of a mother. Like she really was my mother and it's still, it's like hard for me to talk about. It really is. Like it really brings me directly to this place where I feel like I get choked up. I feel like I want to cry. It's just a killer. Uh, even, you know, it turning 43, it's, it's almost been four decades at this point. And it's still like such a gut punch to think about her death. And when she died, it, I think it kind of broke my grandfather. He sort of left, but I was, I was then like cast into the care of my mother who was an active drug addict, um, you know, active alcoholic. And it was just like a three year period of living in a, a physically abused, you know, neglected existence in a horrendous apartment in a duplex. It was always filthy. You know, I like I, I just some of the things that I remember as a kid at that point, because, you know, I would have been eight, nine, ten, uh, just going to school and never like, you know, being a kid that gets kicked out of school for having lice. Uh, you know, not having a thing to cut my fingernails with, like not like I can remember cutting my own hair with scissors and like not doing a good job and other kids calling me patches after that, um, you know, just being filthy and uncared for um, at a certain point. It's funny because I think culturally like transgender people are are OK now, you know what I mean? But in 1989, where in Massachusetts, where I'm from, like it wasn't an okay societal thing, and and like for like it's some somehow I think at like an AA meeting or an NA meeting, I used to get dragged to those with my mother a lot, and she'd meet. That's where kind of her friend group would come from, and um, she had a I guess a, I guess the right word now is transgender friend, but that person moved in with us. It was a man transitioning to a woman, and. Um, you know, that that person took care of me for that was the only person that took care of me for a while. You know, like I remember she she would pick me up from school. She would make dinner for me. She would talk to me. My mother never did those those kinds of things. And uh, but I knew at that time, like, oh, this person's a freak. You know what I mean? Like and uh, the only feedback I ever got was just like how much of a freak that person was. And um yeah, again, culturally, it just uh, the 2023 ish that we're turning into now versus 1989, different worlds, man. Like, it's not the same thing. So, you know, I think about it like 
uh, everything related to my mother, shameful. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want other people to know that was my mother. Uh, even inside my own family, uh, you know, just the narrative about her was just, she's a, she's a waste. You know what I mean? Like, the, the poor thing just can't take care of herself. She can't do anything. But I don't think anyone... I don't think the people that were alive at that point, the the adults, I don't think they realized the extent of the abuse that I was taking from her. Uh, I don't think anyone realized how far she had fallen apart as a person. Uh, I, I just don't think anyone understood. You know, my, my grandfather kind of moved back at, at a certain point and he was there, but he got sick with cancer very, very soon after moving back and was debilitated and eventually I had an aunt move to take care of him and when she took care of him she had to live in the same area and I think all of a sudden she saw how bad things were in that household and she took me out of there and you know while my grandfather was was dying she was taking care of me and you know it was kind of this this back and forth thing but like I think about the time when when he was dying and he was a very tough dude, you know, like, uh, like my mother always had like criminal dudes around, you know what I mean? Like, just like bad, bad kinds of, of people. And, um, literally like a couple of days before he died, I remember like, I went out with my aunt, I think we, we, you know, cause we were always taking care of him. And, um, I think we went out for like a break to get lunch or something like that for an hour. And we come back and he's gone. My grandfather's gone. Like he's not in his deathbed. And <clears throat> my mother dragged him out of his bed with some guy that she knew, brought him to the bank, had everything transferred over to her name. Um, and, you know, stuff like that. You know, it was it was just such a uh, a shitty time, just just unbelievably stressful all the time. Like, what's my mother going to do next at a certain point? Like when when my grandfather did die. Uh, my biological father shows back up in the picture for like a, two days or something like that. Just enough time to where he robbed the entire house, stole everything, every possession, <clears throat> including all my clothes. I didn't have any clothes to wear to my grandfather's funeral. You know, it was like just crazy stuff like that. There were police at the house every day. You know, my mother was always up to some kind of scheme, some kind of horrendous thing. I mean, everything ultimately kind of like turned into a custody battle for me. And um, and that custody battle was just crazy. Going to the courts every day, my mother just always doing something uh, with, you know, at a certain point, she, she came up with this crazy scheme of trying to frame my aunt for trafficking heroin and had heroin mailed to her post office box and you know, left this anonymous tip with the DA and, and my aunt goes to get the mail one day and like gets hit with this D DEA raid and arrested. It's on the news, the whole thing. And like, eventually this all kind of came undone and like, it was a very simplistic, stupid plot by a drug addict who left some uh, obvious trails. And my mother got a, a figured out and arrested for for having done that, but it, this was like a daily thing. Like I'm highlighting some of the the big hitters, but it was just like a household of absolute, uh, you know, chaos at that point in time.
And I just never, I don't feel like I ever got a chance to actually mourn for my parents, you know, like my, my grandfather and my grandmother, like, because it was survival. It was literally survival with <clears throat> worrying about these threats of, you know, criminal types of people always being around. Is the house going to get robbed? Are, like, are, what are the cops showing up today? What direction are the cops going to be pulled in by whatever's going on? Um, just, just like horrendous stuff like that. So I, I think about that <clears throat> as just like this, this really nightmarish situation. And that's kind of what I compare my last two years to stress wise, you know? And, um, I also have other periods of time where I, I was an active drug addict and, and like I've, I've smoked crack. I've done a ton of cocaine. I've, and none of, none of my drug addiction stuff was pretty. It wasn't glamorous. It wasn't like you know, people going out to nightclubs in Manhattan or LA or something like that. I, I, I grew up in a, uh, you know, Cape Cod, which is, you know, people think of as like, Oh, it must be really nice vacations and summer times. And it's like, yeah, for the summer people, for the people that live there year round, it's like more blue collary and like in the winter time, it's pretty depressing. And, you know, that, that's kind of how I view my alcoholism and, and drug addiction. It's like, you know, a couple of, couple of guys that like 19 to 22 or whatever, like generally like just getting blasted in someone's basement every night, night after night, after night, after night, like people playing video games or some other shit. And it's just like repeating this groundhog day, self-destructive, uh, sad thing, you know? And, um, but at least I felt like I had friends. I didn't feel so alone. You know, in some ways, the 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 few people that I routinely just abused my brain with, uh, they were always there, you know, and um, yeah. So I, I um, you know, I've I've definitely screwed a lot of things up in my life these last couple of years because I think about like what I compare the last couple of years to those years of destruction, mayhem, um, sadness, uh, confusion. And, uh, and, and I do think it's really interesting how, how it is possible to recreate childhood in the least expected ways. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I've, I, uh, I was a terrible husband. Um, I got involved in situations that I, I, I think are really, uh, you know, low tier from a character standpoint over the last few years. I, uh, I ended up, you know, kind of leaving a place that I was, ha I've never been happy in a workplace before, but I actually really was at Hype Gym. Like when that started up, I was, I was really happy there. I felt like it was just a really good group, like in its heyday, it was, it was really amazing. And I'm sure I have a lot to do with the souring of that experience, but the experience soured and, um, and, and it, it, it like I, it ended for me over a very unexpected thing involving like a uh, client, like, like feeling as though, uh, you know, a few of my clients went to someone in a very, in a way that I didn't uh, feel was appropriate, you know? And I kind of made an ultimatum like, Hey, either, either these clients stop coming here or I'm gone. And the, I'm, I'm gone is the end of it, you know? And, um, 
that's I think it, I think it's challenging because anyways, that that sort of was like a first domino in a, in a cascade of things that led to uh, a number of relationships ending, um, you know, including, you know, some 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 of the relation one of the relationships was the most uh, challenging relationship I've ever had in my life. And, you know, very, you know, probably the most meaningful relationship I've ever had in my life that uh, ended in a way that left me feeling mm, as empty as I've ever felt in my life. <clears throat> and, you know, it's, it's, it's taken me, you know, it's funny because I think last week was a year of, of that being over and I still feel very empty regarding that. Like just, there's just a, that's probably going to leave a scar for life. And it's, it's, but at the same time, like if something hurts that much, it, it can be that meaningful, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's uh, yeah. All I can say is that the last two years have, uh, have been a, a point of challenge that have been different for me than any other couple of years. And I feel like if anything, maybe last week was the first week where I felt like I'm finally starting to move on a little bit from the whole experience. Um, but just starting to move on, like some things just, I'd say I'm, I'm surprised how long it's taken me to move on from this kind of pain, but I'm starting to get there, starting to feel like I can, you know, even, even with that though, like, I, I do think I'm just one of those people that's hard to kill. Like I'm, I'm, I'm never going down easy. Like I, I've, I grew up with some really tough fucking people you know, really, really tough people. And uh, I serve, I've survived things that are difficult to survive. And I've marched forward in life, no matter what. And I've done that over the last couple of years, too. You know, I, I think uh, all I knew over the last couple of years was almost like, get to your next training session, train hard, eat your next meal, Make it the appropriate numbers. Do that five times a day, food-wise. Make sure every set you're locked in for and you execute it the way it's supposed to be executed. You know, cry yourself to sleep. Wake up the next day. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Even if I don't want to. I'm not mentally there. I'm not motivated. I'm not passionate about it. It's just do it because you said you were going to do it. That's it. That's it. Show up and do it. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Do it. Do it. Do it. And I think that's that's really, it's been so un unbelievably informative. You know, it's not like I've been sleeping great. It's not like I've been uh, stress low. <clears throat> you know, I had, I had some blood work done. I got the results last week. My, you know, cortisol couldn't have been higher. All the stress markers are, are like worst case scenario. I could have told you that. I didn't need a blood test to to tell, tell myself that, um, you know, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I just didn't get my, I didn't, I didn't dig my own hole any deeper over these last couple of years. And I just kind of kept, kept putting one foot in front of the other and doing my best to just follow a plan. That's it. Um, and, and I think that all of a sudden, like some of those benefits are starting to demonstrate themselves. I think uh, I, I think about myself now, and I'm not I'm I'm 
I, I don't know what people think of me because I, I think that I speak well in public and I do that for a living. But I'm uh, I'm not good with speaking up to other people necessarily that are close to me in relationships and telling them what's going on with me. I feel like I finally can kind of do that. I can finally vocalize myself in the areas of life that I could not vocalize myself before. You know, I, I feel like I can talk about things like I can talk about my own reality as a person with far less fear in a more responsible manner, in a way that I think uh, actually articulates what's going on inside of me. And it almost feels like my voice comes from a different place, like the center of my chest rather than just out of my mouth. Whatever that is, I, I think that the pain that I've allowed myself to exist in has been incredibly transformative for me. Uh, emotionally, socially, spiritually, all of those areas, I think, are, I, I just, I understand everything out of, off of training. It's like, uh, you know, part of training is just accepting at a certain point, like, if it's going to work, it's got to suck. And I think that for me, for my personal growth, if I'm going to grow as a human being, and be a better friend, a better father, a better husband, a better son, I actually need pain. <laughs> I need suffering. I Because it, it helps me, I don't know, tap into, for me, it's my avenue into like higher humanity. And I would say that for me, my definition of higher humanity is a twofold one. There's like the Sapolsky line about, the, pre, the role of the prefrontal cortex, and, and he would say that the prefrontal cortex allows you to do the right thing when the right thing is the harder thing to do. And I would say my own concept is that uh, every moment is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to read the room, and you have to be present to read the room. And if you can, the more accurately that you can read the room, there is an opportunity to make this moment a better moment. And whoever's in the room, like it might just be me in the room, you know, and I can make this moment a better moment for me. And that it means a different thing at all times. You know, like the environment is in constant flux. Everything's in flux. Like you just have to actually calibrate and dial in and pay attention to what's really going on. You know, it, sometimes it might mean shut the fuck up and do nothing. Sometimes it might mean you got to be courageous and say something and challenge someone. Sometimes it might mean be kind and just wrap your arms around another person. It, it, it'll mean a different thing at all points of time. There's no, there's no singular answer. It's about connecting with that moment. And every, every moment leads to the next moment, which might mean a new thing that you have to be present enough for. And there's no correct answer, too. Like it, there might actually be 17 things that are the correct thing to do as long as you commit to the way that you're going and you continue to calibrate and adjust. And, and it's like, so I, I just try to think about those, those things like, and, and a lot of these things, you know, they aren't like delayed gratification, you know, they're, they're, they're these, it's, it's just fucking growing up. You know what I mean? It's an ongoing, never ending process. And um, 
so yeah, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm I'm not saying I'm very far into that. Like if it's a if it's a highway and there's some like, hey, you've reached a, this state, you know, uh, you know, I'm probably on mile marker five or something like that, and I have to go to mile marker number eight thousand. So it's just it, look like all all that matters is you're on that road and you're going in that direction, and I feel like I'm on that road. And uh, I, to me, like the big rocks of being on that road, can I own my own bullshit? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, like I think for me, like what I talked about from my childhood, why is that important to bring up? Because it's really easy for me to play the role of entitled victim. You know, oh, my God, these bad things happened to me. And now that gives me the justification and the reason to be a shithead going forward. Uh, hey, look, I can be, but there's consequences to that, you know, by all means, be a shithead. Hey, we feel bad for you, but actually now you're just kind of a fucking difficult person. Nobody wants to deal with you. Okay. Well, okay. Can I, can I accept that what happened happened? It's not currently happening. And, uh, and, and now is now, you know, what, what can I do now as a person? It's, it's just really hard to do that. Uh, so can I own my own bullshit? Like, can I simultaneously in one hand say, wow, that that experience for me as a child was just horrendous. Like, you know, that that's no no child should have to deal with with those kinds of things. And no child should have to go through those experiences and and ultimately not even get a chance to mourn for basically the deaths of their parents. And, you know, sort of. I don't know. Like, I just I look at it like if I was going to describe it in, in a very quick situation, it's almost like uh, becoming an orphan, being abused after that, being pulled out of that abuse and uh, and and, you know, propped and, and helped going forward. Uh, you know, probably by someone that's incredibly loving, but like. Not like the full blend of everything you would want, <laughs> you know, like uh through no fault of their own like uh, just but yeah like not ideal from a childhood standpoint adolescence for me not ideal uh self-destructive self-abusive uh <laughs> uh 20s for me flipped the switch you know went on a fucking mission in life like marched marched headfirst through some through some stuff i i somehow dragged myself to accomplishments that I did not think were possible for me. 30s, very similar kind of march. But then like I, I encountered adversity, like, you know, getting fired from Springfield College was was really tough adversity for me in my mid 30s. And I don't think I fully looked at myself. You know, I did, but I didn't in terms of my own roles and like ego, uh, destructive tendencies, that kind of shit, you know. Now, you know, it's it's just like there's nowhere for me to hide. Uh, in some ways, I left Springfield College. I just kind of kept working, uh, kind of fell into my workaholism. And um, nowadays, I, there's no point. You know what I mean? It's almost like a punishment of having been successful. Like I, I, I haven't had to work as much, but that's just meant I have to sit with myself in my own poop soup of uh, the kinds of mental constructs you know I, I look at my own mind in some ways as like a a straight jacket 
you know, I, I live inside my own straight jacket. I have my own prison where I can go into very negative loops of resentments and uh, victim shit. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this person did this to me. This person's bad. This, And it's like all historical. It's like the voices of my family, kind of like the way that they would talk about my parents. And uh, and and it's been great because I've had like a full year of like just living with that mentally, like a, a mental loop, but not being able to do anything about it. You know, it's almost like I gave myself a prison sentence of you're not going to be that busy. You have to sit in your own head. You get to work out like it, it was almost self-imposed prison when I really think about it. Like you're going to be by yourself in a small, in a small box. You get to work out every day. You get your five meals. You know, you're going to wash, rinse and repeat that day over and over and over. And you're going to think about all the people that you feel like did injustices to you to the point where you feel like you're going to go crazy. And, and this is me having a conversation with myself right now. You know what I mean? And, uh, and you're going to do that over and over again. And eventually what I, what I have found is my mind burns out on that and it gets sick of that. And it's like, buddy, do you not even realize like what you're doing here? Like you're, you're your own judge, jury, warden, you know, like uh guard, you, you locked yourself up, you threw away the key and you, and you're just struggling against the same thing over and over again. The only way to escape this prison is to not fight it. But for me, I don't know how to not fight. You know, it's, it's just, it's a tricky thing. So I don't know how much, and again, like I'm trying to be respectful and not necessarily use people's names or, or, you know, like nobody else, like this is my own shit. Like I, I can, I can accept that. And, and nobody else needs to get dragged into my shit. Uh, everybody's got their own shit. So it's, uh, it's been a long story long, painful couple of years, painful for me. Uh, but accepting some really difficult things about myself in, in my own actions, my own insecurities, my own bullshit. And I feel like of recent times, like, I'm just glad I didn't, like I said, dig it any deeper, cause any more problems in my own life or other people's lives. And I do feel like I'm emerging. It's just hard for me to believe it took a full year of my, basically I had to keep myself on a jail prisons term for a year self-imposed prison for a year uh and and i feel like it is just an emergence from that at this point in time but like a lot of people that go to prison you might look pretty good after it if you just you know eat the same meals and lift weights and train hard and because that's what i did like what's the secret to me kind of like i feel like probably being at my physical best going to, to 43 <laughs> man uh, like my, the, my main focus is, is working out and eating. That's it. Like, it's kind of been like, you know, it's, it's been my escape. So I've been able to, I don't, I don't, I'm not fucking around. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I have, everything's very quantitatively guided and I have like a, almost a hundred percent compliance with, with the quantitative guidelines. Like I basically, when it, when it, if I choose fat loss diet, you know, the RP app that I use will spit out exactly the numbers and I eat exactly the numbers. Exactly. I'm, it's not like a little above, a little beyond. It's just like to, to the gram uh, in terms of training. Like I 
sell the program that I do. It makes me very adherent. I have not missed a training session. I haven't missed a set in like a year base. I think I missed three sets last December because I had one of the worst stomach bugs I've ever had after Christmas. And I'm still angry about those few sets that I missed, you know? So I, it's a hundred percent compliance, a hundred percent adherence um, to nutrition and training and the kinds of training that I've done have been fucking crazy shit. You know what I mean? Like the volume, the every, there's nothing that's, it's almost like there's nothing normal about it, but I have the luxury for that and the training age and the desire and all of that stuff. And I, I really feel like I'm just figuring it out. You know, I've said that for probably the last 20 years. Like I'm like, now I really feel like I'm just kind of getting it figured out, you know? So I, I don't know. I don't know how, how much all of that registers or in terms of expectations, but that's kind of how, that's where I'm at in terms of how I think about these last couple of years. Well, firstly, thanks so much for sharing all that. Um, it's just like I mean, I suppose even before we press record, this is this is exactly the type of conversations I just I just wish I could have more often. I just I love these. I just love authenticity, people being honest, people being brave, not afraid to show every ounce of their being. You know, that sort of concept of we always kind of want to shun the dark side of ourselves. We're afraid to go down there and investigate it. We're afraid to walk down into that basement to see what might be there waiting for us. But it's like to truly know, to truly know every little last piece yourself, you, you got to be willing to investigate every part of yourself. So thanks so much for that, Pat, for everything you just shared there. Um, We are short in time, but... And this will lead us into when we get into our next conversations. There's so much that came from from what you said, there, and I do have a few questions to follow up on. But I suppose just like maybe to wrap up the last ten minutes is, and maybe you don't have an answer for this yet. Maybe it's still formulating in your mind. But what's next now? So you you've gotten to where you are now. Yeah. You know, you're, you're obviously there's forty three years gone into this entire process. That is Pat Davidson. Um, and this this being that is Pat Davidson, but with with this last two years where you've done so much reflection, so much investigation, and it's brought so much self awareness to yourself, and it's probably developed your own self compassion and self empathy, and and you know brought more of an understanding of the certain behaviors and actions you've done across your life. Because I know with my own work that I've done, you know, just again learning more about humans and human behavior, and then sort of taking those lessons and reflecting then on, on myself and like why do I do what I do and why do I have the addictive behaviors I have and you know why did I behave in that way or treat that certain individual that way and you know just th th those sort of educating yourself on human behavior and everything that goes into influencing us you know it, it just really it really helps you then to investigate yourself first of all like you know and it just it brings a better self-awareness but you know just the reflections you just spoke about there for the last 45 minutes or 40 minutes or so like taking all of that now and where you are right now today what are your hopes going forward well look i i don't know if i've ever talked about this but um 
I, you know, I got this theory on, on Stephen King's book, It. And I, I think that it's his version of, of talking about dealing with addiction. Um, <clears throat> you know, to me, the, the clown is, is the addiction module that can exist inside of you. And, and where does it come from? You know what I mean? Like, well, it probably goes back generations, unknown, and it can take whatever form you could ever possibly imagine. You know, just think of whatever is really horrifying. And and what does it do? It, it kind of, it comes up during childhood. It's formed and created during childhood, and it, it murders children. It, it literally murders childhoods is what it does. It rips them right out, and, and it never lets you have a childhood. Um, but then it usually goes dormant during a lot of your adolescent years and, you know, maybe even your early 20s or something like that as you're struggling to make yourself into your place in society. But it didn't go away. It always comes back and, and it, it starts to creep back into your life and then it takes its grip on you again. And if you're ever going to move past it, you have to go back to the scene of the crime. You have to. You have to return to the times and places of your childhood. And you have to go down into the bowels of the pipes because that's where it lives, in the shadows and the recesses where it stinks and where nobody wants to go. And chances are you're going to have to team up with some other people that are fighting the same fight. And to me, that's kind of like how 12-step recovery programs work and fellowships and things like that. You're going to need some other people that are willing to go down there with you. And if you walk hand in hand with them, you can sort of cross through the deadlights and move into this other dimension where you can actually really fight this phantom. Because that's kind of what it is ultimately. It's a phantom. And, but you have to be willing to, to go to this place and accept it on its terms and, and, and grow to understand it. And if you do that, I think that you can kill some of these things. But it's, it's like they're always going to come back in some other way, shape, or form because some things will scar you for life. You know, like, like I'll, I, I look at myself and I say, you know, in all honesty, there's, there's, there's some things in my brain that are probably broken, you know. And, and you know what, that's okay. There's like plenty of people that like lose legs and their, you know, arms, hands, fingers, toes, whatever it is, they break a leg. They never, they never move the same way for the rest of their life. But if you accept it and learn how to deal with it, you can still have a life. You know, if you if you want to remain bitter, you can have a life where you stay bitter and hostile and a victim, but that ain't ever going to really get you to a place that you want to be like, that's no, that's no way to live your life. So it's it's kind of like, yeah, I think I think that there's parts of me that look like just like the person with a limp, there's going to be some limitations. You know, there's there's going to be some things where like it gets pointed out and exacerbated a little bit more. Same thing with me. Like, I'll always be reactive. You know what I mean? Like, I'll probably somebody pushes my buttons. I'll probably be ready to, to fucking throw down for the rest of my life. I'll be an old ass man. That's like frothing at the mouth and like, I will, I will fucking kill you. You know what I mean? And, um, and yeah, cause I, that still can happen to me. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm still that person. Like I'll, I'll pop out, I'll, I'll go to war, you know? Uh, and I can't help those reactions in some ways. You know, I, I just know that like I'm learning 
to have my reactions, try to have them by myself, not, you know, get my own teeth knocked out or somebody else is knocked out. Uh, but, you know, can I give myself enough time? Because I need some time to digest and process my responses to things. Because I do realize, like, there's something broken in me. And I don't have normal responses. You know, I actually, I have to, like, bring my reactions to some other people that I trust and be like, okay, here's the situation. What do you think? Uh, because, you know, sometimes you need guidance. Like, I, I need help from other people to, to determine what is happening and how to proceed. Because I can't do it very well on my own when it comes to emotional or personal things. That part of me is a little damaged and broken and fucked up. So as long as I don't start, because here's the thing, I'm really successful in some areas of my life. And I can start to think, this is the, you know, the, the story of Socrates and the Oracle. You know, just because I'm good in these areas doesn't mean I'm good in every area. Like I'm, I am subpar when it comes to emotional responses and reactions. I am a hothead <laughs> and I am also someone that needs uh, certain kinds of validation, external validation to feel good about myself. And I probably will be like that forever. But as long as I can pause, you know, the pause is what breaks things up. Like, okay, I recognize my own signs and symptoms. It's like a diabetic that realizes that they're like kind of low, low blood sugar at a certain point. Like I'm beginning to recognize my own signs and symptoms. Like I can feel a part of my chest respond now to situations. And that's where I'm like, okay, all right, walk yourself back, guy. Don't do anything. Sometimes I can do that. Other times I can't. There's, um, there's other times it literally feels like I leave my own body and I'm watching this fucking animal, like, and I can't stop him. You know what I mean? Like, it's just happening. And it's a crazy, you know, I... You know, to close, like, there's some feelings that I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable with rage and anger. I'm comfortable with those things because they make me feel like I'm in control of the situation. Like, now I can impact the situation and I can steer it in the direction that I want it to go to. Problem with that is, again, I'm broken. And my decisions about how direction, the directionality of situations is oftentimes really questionable at best. Okay. The feelings that I don't like are accepting, letting things go, not taking control, sadness, like powerlessness. Those are the feelings I hate. Okay. But oftentimes when I allow those feelings to actually run their course and be the thing that like, I just step back, take my hands off and I allow a situation to play itself out. And I'm patient. That usually is when things actually are better outcomes for me in life but i mean <laughs> that, let's say that that happened zero percent of the time three years ago now it happens 15 percent of the time you know hopefully three years from now it happens 30 percent of the time and on and on and on like that so again i i don't you can probably surmise all of these things with leaving behind maladaptive childishness and actually growing the F up and being a man about life. It, you know, that, that, that really to me is like a, such a topic that, that could get unpacked in 25 different ways. What does it mean to be a man? You know? And, um, and I feel like 
it's not what's it's not a lot of the movie images you know it's not like the leading role in a hero film or something like that it's the real life shit of that is very different it's very very different but um, i think that probably brings us to our our time cap here and as we talked about sometimes constraints are a beautiful thing well it definitely led to a a phenomenal phenomenal podcast today just one little thing to touch on there yeah, I've read an awful lot on on trauma this year. A number of books. Um, the body keeps score. By uh, Basil or Basil Vander Vanderklok, great book. I read uh, What Happened to You by Doctor Bruce Perry, that he did in conjunction with Oprah Winfrey. Another phenomenal book on trauma. I read the 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 trauma of everyday life by Doctor Mark Epstein, which I found was a phenomenal book about how he incorporates Buddhism into his uh, practice. He's a psychiatrist in, in New York City actually so he kind of takes the best of the western teachings of the Buddhism and kind of integrates it with his with his with his western training um, then uh, obviously I mean I studied Intensely Behaved by Sapolsky I think that book is a masterpiece and then I think Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow is also a very good book just in understanding human behaviour Um. And just the reason I bring that up is, and I think polyvagal theory is another phenomenal resource in Porges, It's just understanding that whole social engagement system and versus the fight or flight system versus the free system. But kind of what you've touched on there is, and I think I, I think you're aware of this and understand this too, is that behaviors that were so crucial for our survival at one part of our life, they're maladaptive then at other parts of our life. And because those survival strategies are just so strong from a plasticity standpoint in our brain, that's why it is so hard to get away from them. So in your case, you know, being reactive, being almost alpha, being almost, you know, just in that survival doggy dog, you know, I, I gotta, you know, I gotta just fight here. I gotta, I gotta earn my keep. Like that was a very, very important adaptation for you to survive at a younger age. It was crucial. I mean, you mightn't have you mightn't have seen forty three right now only for that, yeah. but yeah. but then it, it's it's that adaptation then becomes a mal adaptation in adulthood because obviously your brain is misinterpreting situations that are actually safe as threatening, and then you're responding just like you had done previously in a childhood where you did need to respond in a, in a fight or flight mindset because you were in a situation where your survival was at risk i mean with, with everything you've just shared with us but then in your 20s or 30s in an emotional relationship where the situation really didn't call for that strategy that particular strategy of pure fight and fight or flight but yet the brain or your survival system is picking up or sensing or it's interpreting the environment in the exact same way so it's just it's just a, a survival strategy that was so beneficial and so needed and so important at one stage of her life that at, at, at another stage, it's actually detrimental. And it's so funny because in that podcast you've done on the self-made podcast, you said something and I've always had the same feeling too. It's like the more you learn about training, the more you learn about life. And now I'm paraphrasing. They might be in your exact words, but to me, like that resonates so much because for instance, and like this just kind of wraps everything nicely here at the end. Like we know that if you're a novice and you get stronger, like so many of your other biomotor qualities get better. So it's like, oh, heavy <laughs> strength work, strength training, it gets better. So just, you know, the, the the example we usually use is, 
I got stronger and my speed got better. Yeah. But then if if we just stuck with that, oh, stronger means equal like greater speed, we know there's a diminishing return there. And we know that, for instance, if you keep doing heavy, heavy strength work, you're going to get into a stereotype where actually at some stage it has negative transfer. The whole thing of bonder truck and the throwers, that's a great example. The, the novice throwers, when their bench press went up, they, throw, they threw further. But when the elites spent too much time trying to get their benches up, their throwing performance got worse and went backwards. Right. So this whole concept that what's a beneficial strategy at one certain point in your life or your athletic career in this, in this, um, in this example can be detrimental at another point. So going back to childhood, the adaptations you had made because you needed those adaptations to survive were detrimental then later on in life in your emotional relationships. And it's just, a, again, kind of what I was, and you just alluded to this too, it's the ability then as we get older, and obviously we have a more evolved brain to understand those, oh, so that's why I do that. That's why I react. And again, you 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 said it so beautifully too, Pat, that, okay, like it's important now that we have that awareness, we have that understanding, but it's like, now what do you do from here? It's like, okay, on one hand, I understand that traumatic childhood. I understand that there were factors that were outside of my control because I was too young to absorb and understand everything that was going on around me and to be able to, you know, perceive it in a way where I could make a choice. I just was too immature, too young. And then you, you know, as you said, you could stay in a victim role then. Well, well, I'm fucked up because of this. So now I'm, I'm a prick forever. Or you have a choice now to say, right, I understand that. I have empathy for those around me who hurt me because hurt people hurt people. I also have empathy and compassion for myself because I've always been saying I'm a piece of shit, but I realize why I'm a piece of shit. But it's like right now there's this fucking, there's a fork in the road here and I have a choice to make. I can say stay in this self-loading position. I can say pointing fingers at my parents or my lack of parents or whatever else went on before. Or I can say, no, that's in the past. While those events were a massive part in shaping me, it's up to me now to decide where I want to go with this. Do I want to stay as a victim or do I want to go down this other road where I can use that adversity to make me grow and develop and become a better person? So I just, you know, those strategies, those survival strategies, just what it touched on me is that those survival strategies, that the plast, because you were saying like, you know, maybe your brain's broken or but it's those behaviors, like you still feel like, you know, you'll react and all that. And of course, because those plastic fucking pathways in your brain are so nailed down. They're like, this shit got us 43 years, man. And yeah. you're telling me, you're telling me not to do this now. So a hundred percent, but I love the way you said, maybe it was no percent a few years ago. Now it's 15. And it's like, I, t- I thought it was a lovely way of putting it too, but man, thank you so, so much today for, for this. It's really, I do the, the, the courage that, you know, just to, 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 to speak about everything you spoke about. Like there's so much gold in that and like really everyone has a story everyone and we just it's so funny because when people are making judgments on other people it is important to always just keep in the back of your mind we just don't know yeah we just don't we don't know like like i've i've been saying this for years ever since i got into epigenetics because epigenetics is what me realize what, what made me realize and appreciate like that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason. I've been saying that for years because of epigenetics, because that really made me realize the influence the environment has on determining an organism's behavior. And, you know, if we went right down, obviously, to, you know, the DNA genetic expression and whatnot, but it just, it made me realize that everyone is shaped so vastly by their environment. So I've been saying that for years that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason. There is a reason. 
Hitler, Stalin, all those. There's a reason. Now, it doesn't, and I also I always make sure I say this when I follow up, it, it, it doesn't, you know, negate yeah. what they've done. It's just to understand how the situations got to those places. It's the understanding we should all, like the most important question we can always follow up with is why. Like want to understand. Like how many times have you heard people in their lives going, I just, I just don't understand. I don't understand yeah. him. I don't understand her. I don't understand it. It's like, try. Just right. Try. They don't want, yeah, they don't want to. Yeah. So listen, we I could keep going here, but thanks I would so love much. To just very briefly say of course, that of course. what what you said there reminded me so much. I think that Candide by Voltaire is one of the most brilliant things that's ever been written. And it's an exploration of Voltaire's sorts of uh, feelings of the inadequacy of all religions. And, um, you know, he concludes with this concept of like, the only thing that any of us can do on a daily basis is cultivate our own gardens. And, you know, it's a rejection of the notion that everything happens for a reason, which to me is like the most obvious thing in the world. Like, you know, every time someone seems to indicate that they feel like, you know, oh, you know, this is a, a sign of God acting in my life because this good thing happened. I'm like, really? This th- like this level of confirmation bias you can't see? I can guarantee that while you were having this business success, like some child was probably being murdered somewhere else in the world. Glad to know that God was here for you and allowing that to happen at the same time. Like, uh, you know, it's kind of like... Uh, you know, it's like almost the old saying of like, well, it seems like God slept just fine through the whole Holocaust, you know? So I I don't think that everything happens for a reason. I think there's a reason that everything happens. And again, I I think that what I, and I don't, I'm not anti-God. Like I say things like that and people assume that I don't believe in God. And I do, I do believe in God. And, and I, but what I believe is that there is a ever-present, constant, blank slate that reemerges at all moments. Every micro, infinitesimal time lapse is a new moment. And as I kind of said earlier, every new moment is an opportunity for every single thing. And it's an opportunity to make that choice of are you going to remain unconscious and perpetuate whatever has been happening before in a patterned manner? Or are you going to make the attempt to enliven your presence to the greatest degree that you can right now? And you have an opportunity to follow like an ascending cycle of becoming more present. And with your increased presence, can you try to discover the way or ways in which you can make this current moment better. And the only way that you can do that is to to become more connected with everything in your surroundings. That might be another person, that might be just you and whatever's around you. Like that's that to me, if you can channel into that, because to me, God is a channel and it's that channel and it takes work to find that channel and possibly put yourself into the riptide of that channel. But it's a, it's like an anti riptide. It's like, you got to keep working to stay in that. It's always there. It is. I don't care what the fucking moment is. It is always there. And if you can find it, whatever that oblique axis is, 
that gives you access to that place of presence and utilizing that presence to make something a little better. And I, again, like I cannot state enough, it is not a one size fits all kind of a thing. Everyone is their own unique person. Your way of making this moment better is probably different than mine. And that's the fucking beautiful thing. There is a limitless potential of making something better. And even for the same person, there's different ways in which you can do it. Limitless ways in which you can do it. You just have to be open to it. That to me is God, you know, and that's what I want to try to create. I'm terrible at it, by the way. Terrible. Like I'm so bad at it. It's a joke. I understand the highway. That's what I'm talking about. To me, it's a highway. I'm just not very good at remembering that that road even exists. And then even when I know it exists, I'm a little afraid to drive on it. And even when I drive on it, it's like I got a bit of a broken vehicle with like a clunky wheel and the suspension system sucks and it's got about five horsepower. So, but I know that I like, hey, I can I can probably, uh, you know, clean up the vehicle and ultimately make it a little bit stronger over time with some work. <laughs> oh, man, there's so much. There's so much. The 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 There's a. Next time we speak, I will touch on that the whole the whole God concept together because it it just and I know I use this word a lot and people may roll their eyes because I always say this word, but I, it's because I love this word. But there's so much you just said right there that resonates so much with me because there's a gentleman called Joseph Shilton Pierce and he's he he's he's passed now. He passed in 2016, but he was a beautiful man and he wrote so many great books on child development, and spiritual development, and the concept of God. And he speaks so much about creativity. And he would speak about this concept that God basically is the creative and we humans are the creator and we work in this dualistic relationship. So his whole concept too is that just like you said that basically to him, like God is this like just unconditional, this everlasting, just omnipresent, unlimited potential. And he's kind of like, you know, everything that has ever been created and ever will be created is already out there. It's already in creation. So his whole thing is that like for, for like one of the meanings of life is to create and how we go about that is so like you just touched on this individuality about it. So for instance, like out in that, out in the ether is all this potential, all the creative and we're all the creators. And then if you read that through like spiritual scriptures, do God's work through you, you know? And so he would try and say like how certain scriptures might relate to this concept. But for instance, he would say like a great song is already out there and it's just waiting for the right musician to come into relationship with God, to bring it into creation. And like, that's the gift then that this person channels into the world, this song. And the great thing about it is they don't own the song. So this song might mean something to Pat, but the same song might mean something different to Robbie, but they both get a love and a meaning from it. And that's what this musician brought into the world. Same then with a great master chef, this dish that's never come in, it's never seen the light of day before. It's already out there in the universe. It's already out there in God, if you want to call it. And then God is looking for someone to do his work through him or through her or if God is a female entity too, whatever, I'm not, you know, and then the chef brings this meal into the world and he shares it with the world. And again, 
we enjoy every individual enjoys that meal for it. Oh, I love it because of the way this tastes or the texture or whatever. But it's the same concept. This, this, this due relationship between God and to me, God against just this universal energy. And this universal energy doesn't have any conditions attached. There's no ten commandments. You know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. it, there's there's no end point to it. It's 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 just infinite. And so all that potential, and it's, the other word that you use, and another word I love, is this concept of emerging. Everything is brand new, present. It's always constantly emerging. It's like this: the whole conversation, like skill acquisition, the last number of years with all these people, skill acquisition, they're also about you know, skill acquisition is emergent. It's emergent properties, affordances, and you know, recalibrations to the moment. And you know, particularly when we're just talking about motor learning and motor control and stuff like this, and that that concept again is like universal. Everything is emergent. You never live the same moment twice. You never speak the same word twice in the same way. You might say the same word, just like the way you might do the same exercise, but you never execute exactly the same. Everything is emergent. Every movement, every behavior, every thought. And then just Shilton Pierce, exactly what you just spoke about there. And it's just so crazy that like, I've heard, I've heard this same basic concept from numerous other resources now, but this idea of this omnipresent energy, and like we just tap into it, and then this this bi bi direct relationship between us and this universal energy and creation, and one being the creator, one being the creative. I've like heard interviews with Jack White, and he talked about his his writing process with music, and his exact same concept. And it, the reason was that so resonated because I was reading Joseph's book at the time, and I was like, oh my god, like how random is that? Like that he just came out and said basically the same concept that Shilton Pierce is trying to cut across. But it's just what you said there is something that came into my awareness a number of years ago and I've always felt that way now for probably the last eight to ten years in terms of you know if someone said to me do you believe in God I would have said the same thing as you it's like yeah I do believe I, I do believe in God but now I have to define what God means to me you know it's not this Christian God in the sky or it's it's not Muhammad that's not that's not my concept of God it's this universal energy that we tap into and we create things from and that creation gives us fulfillment and meaning and joy and hopefully we can then release that joy to the world and the beautiful thing as I alluded to is what we create we don't own and the meaning other pe- the meaning that other people get from it is individual to them like so like when you made mass two or mass one programs and you're getting all this feedback so like, oh, I did your program and I loved it I loved it like that's what it like you know I love the cause oh, I love the 30 30 or you know I love the setup or the way it made me feel or you know you know different people got a different experience from this from this thing that you created just to give an idea of it too like and yeah i just that that whole concept of creator creative dynamic god us doing work bringing his or hers work through us it's just yeah it's just that's just really resonated with me and you got to battle through the resistance to continue to play in that channel to me and there's just so many forms of resistance the ego see i made it I'm so great, you know, like uh, bitterness, you know, people, people that will say negative things about you, you know, um, there's, there's just a million, there's a million ways in which you can remove yourself. To me, it's like the only way you're in it is if you're riding the wave, you know what I mean? You got to be, it's like you're on a surfboard and you got to hold the craziest edge imaginable. And every time you're on that edge, that's all there is. You know what I mean? But you can distract yourself from even realizing that that wave's there with all the bullshit. You know what I mean? 
everything else is, is a distraction from it. And it's so easy to get pulled into these other sort of like hell realms of distraction. You know, oh, my money, social media, you know, re- like destructive relationships, uh, you know, there's there's a million million examples cars women drugs partying fame none of it is the real deal and i feel like everyone that like you you gotta get a taste of all of that shit to realize that it's not the thing it is not the thing holding that edge of the of that cosmic current wave and participating in it and finding those opportunities to make everything a little better and using your gifts to be able to like fucking shred on that wave. That is when you're alive. That's when I'm alive. Beautiful. Part two will come soon. <laughs>